Welcome to So Sorry for Your Loss. This is not your average grief group. I'm Gianna DiMedio. Thanks for joining me as we normalize the conversation around grief with the stories of those who've gone through it, a whole lot of humor, and a pinch of celebrity and entertainment news. Because fun fact, they grieve too. There's more to grief than that godforsaken dove flying over a willow tree on a sympathy card. I know you've seen it and know what I mean. Let's change the way society looks at it. Visit ssfylpodcast.com for more. Welcome back. I am feeling so invigorated after last week's announcement. Pause. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, go do that right now and then come right back. Okay. So excited to be feeling like I'm following the right path in life. And I'll be honest with you, it became a little scary for me on Wednesday. So I made everything public on Tuesday. Wednesday, I was leaving for LA to go to the podcast movement and I had more anxiety than I've had probably in the last six months. I mean, it got to the point where I was with the baby for most of the day and my husband came to like check on us. And I was like, I, I need you to take over. Like I'm having trouble breathing. I'm just like really freaking out. I need to go pack. I, I need to like set my head straight for a little bit. I think I was feeling that I, I let me get this straight. I was not questioning whether I made the right decision to leave my job and to go all in on so sorry for your loss and my new business with the online store grief boutique. I was not questioning that. I was questioning myself. It's been two years since I've been out in like a professional capacity in front of people, right? Like I've been working virtually this entire time and I think doing a good job at it, but to be in front of people, in front of a thousand people at the same time, like became a little overwhelming. And I think since becoming a mom too, it's like you question whether you're still the same person because so much of your life gets turned around. And of course I had conversations with my mom, with Mark and with my best friend, Brittany, and they were all like, Yeah, this is like totally a waste of time because we all know that you're going to rock and you're going to be fine. And sure enough, they were right. But it was a little scary. I hadn't felt that level of anxiety in a long time. And I think every time that that does happen, it is a trigger because it reminds me of how deeply I felt it in other years. And it's scary. You know, I don't ever, ever, ever want to go back to feeling that like I did like every minute of my life. But of course, they were all right. And as soon as I got there and got into the mix of things and started talking to people and started sharing my ideas for So Sorry for Your Loss and sharing my ideas for The Grief Boutique, I just felt like I was in the right place. And to be honest, it was the best experience. It couldn't have come at a better time. I think at first it was a little overwhelming that the announcement and leaving my job and podcast movement was all happening at the same time. But I think the universe is tricky and it did it on purpose because it wanted to tell me right up front you're doing the right thing. This is where you should be in life. You are following your passion. And listen, it's a good idea. I'm feeling really good coming off a podcast movement. I have so much good stuff coming up for you because I met so many other creators, so many other podcast hosts that host amazing shows related to death and dying and pop culture and grief. So much that I think is really going to enhance your experience as a podcast listener, as a fan of So Sorry for Your Loss. So That'll be coming more to you in the in the coming weeks. I can't wait to connect with all the people that I met. Oh, and then I met with a manufacturer for the Grief Boutique for a clothing line that is coming. Um, really exciting stuff. I really loved the samples that I saw. So that's all moving in a great direction. Okay, so for this week's episode, what you're about to hear today, Becca Piastrelli, she's an author. She wrote a book about connecting with the roots and your lineage and your ancestors to really figure out how to approach your life now. So put it this way, you know how we're talking about the anxiety that I had earlier? There may be anxiety and stress and maybe feelings of depression, feelings of not quite fulfilling your purpose in life. If you're having those things, there's ways to look back, look at your ancestors, look at your connection to the world and to nature and find out what the root of that really is is. She's also got a podcast herself. I will link to everything in the show notes. And then of course, at the end, you know, we talk reality television, A, because we love it. And B, because she feels that it's something that that really is a community in itself. And that has to do with how we interact with the world and how we feel a part of something and whether that is something that can help with our anxiety and depression as well. So, you know, next time you're spending a few hours binging on uh, some trashy television or a reality show that you just love, and someone's like, hey, it's time to get off the couch. You can just say, "Mm -mm, excuse me, this is my medicine right now. This is how I'm feeling connected. And this is how I'm taking care of the feelings and the emotions that I have. I'm giving you permission to do that. Okay, 
Back at Piastrelli, here we go. I'm excited to have you on. You have a very interesting niche here of this whole thing of connecting to your roots, which I think is very important in terms of grief for many reasons. One, for me specifically, the story and the history in my family became like mind blowing in terms of how I was processing my grief. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then Mm. also grief is so isolating and so lonely. Mm. And you really harp on this idea of connection and a community and linking yourself to nature to be able to find kind of these networks that you can ingrain yourself in and find this sense of belonging. So Mm -hmm. I think that is really something I want to impart on this audience here. And that I hope our listeners love if they are feeling alone, which is so common for me, I had Mm -hmm. a million people coming out of the woodwork that wanted to help me in terms of my grief, but I've never felt so alone in my life. It's just something so innate with it. So what can somebody do to say, okay, maybe if it's not people connecting with other people that is helping me, like what are other things that I can connect with to kind of rid myself of this awful feeling with grief. Let me ask you this. Do you have a specific experience with grief that has had a significant impact on you? Yeah. I'd say having a baby in the early pandemic Mm -hmm. was very grief stricken for me. And then a year later, yeah, this past summer, I I lost a friend to cancer. It was very Mm. sudden. Yeah. So it's been, uh, the waters I've been swimming in and I'm just sort of like realizing, oh, I've been grieving, you know? Yes. Totally. I love that you bring up that point because that's something that I, my husband and I actually talk about a lot in terms of like, wait a second, this pandemic has actually very much affected our parenthood journey and ways that we would be experiencing it. Can we take a second to grieve that? Like, it's okay to say, Hey, I thought this would be totally different. And this, this idea of joy and grief coexisting with each other too, right? Like being so, so happy to have this baby, but being like, oh, this, some of this is weird. Yeah. Joy and grief. Yeah. Two sides of the same coin. Absolutely. I, yeah. And I found myself like sharing over social media because like people weren't coming over, at least Mm -hmm. in California, people were not coming over. (laughs) And this was like, late summer, 2020, like the only place I could really get connection because I am an extrovert and I am steeped in the research of community connection that we as human beings need each other. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, wow, this is really hard. And I'm struggling. And I'd post on social media and I'd get some comments like, but it's so beautiful too. And I'm like, of course, that's not what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of course. Oh my gosh. It's worth it. I'm like, well, that's not really what we're talking about here. I'm just talking about my, like the wholeness of a human, I think can be stripped down in like, I don't know, pop culture and the ways in which we operate in a either or society, instead of this both. And that life is, mm-hmm. you know, that love can be so incredibly uplifting and also devastating mm-hmm. at the same time. Also tell me about your book yeah. because you touch on that a lot and other grief aspects in the book. So tell us about that real quick. Yeah, it's out. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it's divided into four sections, Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And these are four areas of life that I took a hard look at in my own journey to really contend with my loneliness, like my loneliness from birth, like the areas of my life, I found the word loneliness and belonging later, but it, you know, it used to be just like an existential ache. Like, why do I feel this disconnection in so Mm -hmm. many ways? Why do I feel like I don't belong? Why do I feel like if they really knew me, they'd reject me? Why do I feel like I'm unworthy? Why do I feel this way about my body? Why do I feel this way about nature? I feel so separate. There were all these areas. So The book is really, it's my stories, it's rituals, it's recipes, it's journal prompts, and it's an invitation to anyone who feels alone and isolated in any way. And grief is a big one. And we have a whole chapter devoted to death and grief, actually, to work the ways that we used to be as human beings on this earth. We are in this modern time. You and I are talking on the internet and I'm in a temperature controlled building. (laughs) And also... Our ancestors lived in a simpler way. We operate at the pace of computers. It's ridiculous. No wonder so many of us are grief stricken and stressed. Yeah. And the pandemic just increased that feeling. 
for those of us who work on computers out of our house, which is most of us. So my whole thesis is we live in a time known as the Aromacene or the age of loneliness. It's really about the last hundred years. Mm. 150 years uh, that has to do with industrialization, computerization, all that stuff. And it just is what it is, but how can we look to some of the ways all of our ancestors lived, no matter where on earth they, they were roaming to help us feel a deeper sense of connection, belonging roots. When you phrase it that way, it's almost like in this trek of making us more connected through the internet and the speed at which you're able to connect with people, you're able to contact people, we've grown further apart and people have become right? more individualistic than ever. Yeah. That's been like in the making for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. This is what I, in the research for the book about like the history of loneliness, understanding the context, the historical context, like we live more technologically connected We've all got the apps and the bings and the dings and the, you know, to, to connect with each other. But in the span of human history in which we've been able to measure mental health, there is a sharp increase in anxiety, depression, loneliness, all these things, this sense of disconnection. The historical context is goes back a long time to separation by dominant systems. First us from the land. You know, now we're like scared to pick something because it might be poisonous, but it once used to be kin to us. It was used to be food or unknowing there. And then separating us from each other. Yeah. From this communal, you know, call it call it tribal way of living. And then eventually single family nuclear homes in which you have to bootstrap yourself in this rugged individualist way, like you said, in order to be quote successful. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's a game we can't win. Ultimately yeah. there's, you know, we all just do our best. It's the water we're swimming in, but it's a game we can't win because it's not our innate way. Looking at it this way too, makes me think like, Jesus, what a difficult time of history it is to be grieving. <laughs> Uh-huh. I I mean, we're up against the pandemic which has had us lonely and separated. We're up against this technological world which has had us lonely and separated. And then there's grief on top of it which makes you feel lonely and separated. So, maybe yeah. more so than other eras that we've been in in history, it's it's yeah. difficult to to go through grief. I want to bring up an excerpt that you had from your book about death and this aspect of it being so natural. And that's something that I have wanted to harp on for so long. I've said birth and death are yep. basically the same thing. They're yep. guaranteed in this society. It's the, the movement of a being from one aspect of life to the next. Clearly one is sad while the other is not, but why do we treat them so differently? Oh, preach. <laughs> yes. So your excerpt, you have, you say, by accepting the naturalness of death, we might begin to view it as just as important as birth and create practices within our communities that honor it as such. So true. We yeah. need to make this space for it and honor it and say, hey, this is the same thing. I should be treating it the same way that I am reaching out to the person going through it, you know, standing by them, making sure that I'm there to help them in, in any way, and then be able to just look at it as something natural and that this is okay and it's not completely awkward. Tell me a little bit more about your thoughts on that because Ugh. even just that one excerpt was amazing. Yeah, well, what I think is so interesting, uh, I almost I don't like saying that word. It's like devoid of emotion. I find myself saying it all the time on this it's podcast because we don't because know what it's to like say. I can't <laughs> grasp for anything deeper because I'm like trying to keep things moving quickly and I'm like that's so interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Ooh, that's yeah, interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Thought-provoking? <laughs> Emotionally I like a, confusing? A, uh, <laughs> A, uh, a thesaurus up of all the extra words I could be saying, but yes. I know. Well, <laughs> yeah. What gets the juices flowing in there my brain and my heart around this is, you know, death is coming for all of us and death touches all of us. And yet we live in a society that pretends it doesn't exist or we're death phobic. Like we don't want it to touch us. So we don't talk about it. It's like, maybe it'll pass us by mm -hmm. and it won't, and it won't. And what I've been, I mean, I am afraid of death. I just want to say that I am afraid of death. I am in a death midwifery and death doula training. And I'm, I thought maybe it would help me feel less afraid, but I feel afraid. So I'm with that. Yeah. And I'm also committed 
to returning to a place of celebration of this rite of passage, which is the completion of your time in your body, whatever happens next. Mm -hmm. People have a lot to say about that, you know? So to be in a society where we just worship birth, you and I know recently how it was just like, but to not bring the same energy to death. And yet we all are touched by it. It it can, it's, of course, it's going to be traumatic for us. Like I know that my first experience with death in my life, which was my cat when I was, when I was 15, I felt so shocked and unprepared and angry. Yes. My emotions hit me. And I, I remember I was like a, I was a barista at Starbucks and I couldn't stop crying. And I was mad at myself. I was like, what is this? Like, yeah. oh, why can't I get over it? And, and it was like, oh, this is like a birthright to grieve. This is you feeling love for this creature. Like this is, re- of course it's intense in my research for my life. And for this book to look into the ancestral or indigenous or traditional ways that cultures prior to like the way in which mostly the industrial world, industrialized world has wiped culture clean of this. There have been community grievers, keeners in Ireland, like professional mourners that would moan and wail mm. for not just one death, but the all death that's happening to move that energy. And I thought, oh my gosh, what if we had that? Like, what yeah. if we could bring more ritual to the grief that everyone in their homes with the smiles on their faces are feeling in their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. If there was one ritual that you could say, you could wave a magic wand and say, okay, everybody in America is going to practice this from now on in terms of grief. What do you think it would be? This might be edgy, but community wailing. Yeah. And that's a somatic practice, right? Of moving it's a nervous system release. You know, the other one in, tra- in trauma communities, they talk about shaking, you know, mm-hmm. shake like a, like a gazelle is chased by a lion and it survives what it does to move that trauma of that, you know, near death experiences to shake. So like, if you're in, you know, in an accident or something, you can shake, but I think that same thing. Can oh, wow. Be- so that's like the actual physical process of why you shake when you're like, yes. like sh- when you're quote unquote shooken up about something. Yes. Huh. It's your nervous system regulating. Isn't How about it? that? Isn't the body amazing? amazing. So, I, so this, so, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how your birth was, but in my birth, things were coming out of my mouth. I was like, Whoa, making uh-huh. animal noises. And I think the same is actually an innate grieving thing that a lot of us either suppress or can't access. But what if we could wail? What if we could mourn, cry out, and then I think the practice, it's very vulnerable, but to be witnessed by our community, our beloved ones Mm -hmm. to say, I see you in your grief. I wail with you. Mm -hmm. It's first, I know I talk about it a lot and some people are like that, that is so far (laughs) from where we are, but I, it is my wish. Yeah. That's really interesting. Oh my God. See, I just did it again. (laughs) I mean, but it is, I was thinking in the, in, in terms of grief is so physical too that that almost promotes being able to feel it on a physical level. I think the more that you're able to do some of that stuff up front in terms of feeling as deeply as possible, like getting it out, it, you're helping yourself later on. So yeah, if this practice mm. of collective wailing was put into place that within the first weeks and months of, of grief to really help somebody release it the way that they should not suppress it because that's what society is telling you to do, I can totally see how that would be helpful. And from an ancestral trauma perspective, if we suppress, if it doesn't feel safe or it isn't, you know, socially acceptable or palatable to cry, wail, be depressed, you know, have a frown, Mm -hmm. then it's internalized. And then I just think about how that gets passed down, how that contributes to sickness in the body, how that creates generational trauma from unprocessed grief. Yes. So let's talk about that. So ancestral trauma and generational trauma, are they the same thing? I would say yes. Okay. And how does that really impact something? And do you encourage people to look into their lineage and in terms of other traumas that people, their ancestors may have faced to be able to uncover some things about themselves? 
Absolutely. And I am no practitioner in this because this is serious stuff, uh, but I do engage in it in my own life through therapy, through talk therapy and through uh, a modality called family constellation. Mm. If you've watched the latest goop series on Netflix, there is an episode, I think it's episode five that shows how this modality works, which is there's something called the field that is like create We're all in the field and it's created basically by like, it's a rug that everyone stands around and someone brings people on to represent certain ancestors and work through an ancestral mm. trauma. It sounds wild. Mm-hmm. I always describe it and say, watch that episode because it'll yeah. make a lot more sense. Okay. Uh, and I participated in, in it quarterly. It's a way to work with pains that have like, for instance, my grandmother had intense postpartum depression that turned into a real mania. And in that time, in the fifties and sixties, she was seen as like an unfit woman. And mm. the treatment in that time was shock therapy treatment yeah. about, th- you know, maybe 20, 30 years earlier, it might've been lobotomy right? and, or hysterectomy because of yeah. hysteria. Like yeah. it's really intense. You look at the history. And so she received a lot of electric shock therapy. And I have been thinking about, you know, after that, she had my mother. And after that, my mother had me. And I remember after having my daughter Atlas feeling like electrical currents move through me. And that could have just been the way adrenaline processed. Wow. Also when she gave birth, these are potentially triggering topics. I just want to name that. I will be talking about traumatic birth right now. Okay. Thank you. Okay. She had twilight births. So she was put asleep, which was also common. If you were a woman of wealth oh, wow. in the 1960s, you see this in the crown for the, the, for queen Elizabeth's final birth, they put her asleep. And that was like the way to gently enter into motherhood without having to feel it. Okay. Yeah. That's not practiced anymore unless it's a real emergency yeah. because of the traumatic effects. I was it painful? So, sure. Do I would I go through it again? Absolutely. I mean, it's right. I think now, yeah, that's what you're saying is why they're not doing it anymore. It's like more traumatic to not be able to feel that connection with your child and bringing it into the world. The mental health impacts of twilight births were devastating. Yeah. If, you want, if someone wants to go down that rabbit hole, it's devastating. So it's also shown in Mad Men. Betty has a twilight birth as well. Anyways, I, I think about that. So I'm just trying to give an example in me where, what are the impacts? I mean, there's far deeper impacts, you know, people whose ancestors have been a part of really intense war, genocide, famine. Mm. There are ways in which the nervous system has coded things being not safe or things feeling like uh, inaccessible. So we all have some version of that because we all have millions of ancestors. Mm-hmm. And this is all through the study of epigenetics. Epigenetics prove that DNA encodes trauma and it can be inherited not always, but it can be. So when I think about generational trauma, it can also be inherited by modeling, right? If we saw like, for instance, my father's father fought in world war two. And when he came home, he never, ever, ever discussed it. Yeah. Never, ever. And he was very quiet and unemotional. And so I have a very unemotional father because that Mm. was modeled for him Mm -hmm. by his traumatized father. Mm -hmm. And then I think about just like my dynamics with my father, where I'm just like, show me emotion. And he just can't because it was modeled and inherited in that way. So I'm just trying to get the juices flowing for people about thinking about this. And it's something you can talk about with professionals something you can engage in, particularly if you're seeing the ways it's holding you back. And I think it does often come up in grief, particularly if you don't feel safe to grieve. So you just sparked a bunch of shit in my head with this. So what I thought was a generational trauma, it seems like now is this culprit of modeling as well. Cause here's my story. I lost my dad when I was 27 years old. He was 63. He died of a heart attack. His dad died at the age of 63 of a heart attack. And his mother died at the age of 63 of a heart attack. So this is my father, my grandfather, and my great grandmother all died at the same age of the same thing. I sit here now. Now, 
I can link to it in the show notes of a blog I wrote about when I found this out because it was very traumatic in how I even discovered this information. I knew that they were all kind of young, kind of through something with the heart, but I really put it all together, literally standing in the cemetery, looking at the headstone and looking at the dates and realized, mm holy shit, every last one of them was 63 years old. And that was like a profound existential moment in my life of, oh my God, this is my destiny. Oh, this is fate. Like, how am I supposed to get past this? This is basically already written in my DNA code oh. that this is what's going to happen to me. And I had already been on this journey of starting so sorry for your loss and knowing that I wanted to be out there in the community talking about grief and loss because I didn't feel that it was talked about enough. But when I say that this was a major kick in the ass for me to do it, it, it was. My dad was very open with his emotions. He was a very animated person from the stories that I hear. So was his dad. So I guess he took that on, but he had a real dark side to him when it came to kind of just shutting down not being able to process things and going from zero to a hundred real quick with his anger almost. And it was like that he wanted to be so happy, go lucky, so sarcastic and fun and witty all the time that when he couldn't do that and he physically couldn't get past the feelings that maybe it, it turned into this, this anger. I mm. don't really remember him talking openly on holidays or birthdays about the loss of his dad. But I do remember being a little girl and him bringing me to the cemetery almost monthly, if not weekly, you know, like after church, we would go and he would openly cry. That has been something that's felt very bonding to me with mm -hmm. him. I feel like I have this whole other relationship with him now because now I am experiencing what he experienced and people will comment on his behaviors or some of the things that he did in his time. And I'm like, yeah, I freaking get it because this sucks. You yeah. know, this is so painful. So if he was feeling this, then I fully condone what he did because I understand oh how he gosh. was feeling. So that has, has been truly, truly life-changing for me. But I do think in this sense of modeling what you were talking about, I almost wonder if it was something that my dad just accepted. Well, everybody else just has a heart condition and is just it's just going to take them at an early age. So there's nothing I can really do. There's no point in me keeping up with my health because that's just what's going to happen. And I'm just going to drink and smoke and eat whatever I want and live my life and just go when the time comes. I kind of feel that was his mindset. Uh -huh. Yeah. And you have a real window of empathy and compassion into that. Yeah. There's a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's a, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. There's, I just think about, have you considered like the, I'm not sure where you are on the woo woo scale, but have you considered, I like, love that we talk about woo woo. It seems like almost okay. every episode now it's coming up. It's hysterical. So yes, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Like the spiritual ramifications of like heart attack or like what the heart needs, what the heart represents more than just like this beautiful organ, and, you know, the ways in which it is impacted by lifestyle or genetics or whatever it is, but also like what the heart represents and is connected to the way we armor our hearts or don't allow our hearts to feel the way we could open our hearts. That's just like coming to me as I'm listening of you uh, thinking about my dad just like accepted his fate, but like, is there a way in which there, I'm just curious, generationally, there's this story around love or guarding of their heart or our broken heart, something there. Grief, maybe grief unexpressed that you are now giving permission to. I think I'm, I'm responsible for three generations worth of grief, <laughs> which is why it is talking about it. So out loud, I, you know, have made this my life goal. I'm talking to the public about it because there it is breaking the curse. <sighs> Oh my gosh. Wow. Woo. I need a minute. Oh, beautiful and intense. Wow. Yeah. yeah. 
How do you listen to your podcasts? Are you running right now? Are you exercising? Are you out doing some errands with a little AirPod in your ear? Or do you have it playing as you're walking around your house, cleaning up after everything, organizing, you know, getting shit straight for the day? That's generally how I listen to my podcasts. If so, I am likely to be wearing a very cozy set because I just want to be comfy in my home. Who doesn't, right? I'm so happy that I found this company, Softies. Softies PJs. They sent me a ton of their stuff and guys, appropriately named because it's incredibly soft. (laughs) It's a family-owned company and it's been on Oprah's list of her favorite things like five years in a row. So you know it's good. You know Oprah's sitting there with that luxe loungewear. Mm -hmm. So Softies PJs is one of them. They've got this trademark signature fabric. It's called the wellness fabric and it's embedded in all their luxury sleepwear and it's designed to keep you cool and dry all night long. Okay, if that doesn't resonate with you and you're like, Gianna, why the hell do I need to say dry? Well then, good for you. If you're a mom, you probably understand those, you know, postpartum sweats as well. But for me, I curl myself up into such a tight ball to get warm and then all of a sudden the body heat becomes like too much and I wake up like drenched in sweat in the middle of the night. Yeah, it's like super glamorous. Anyway, when I wore these softies PJs, the coolness is real. And I didn't have that happen. It is a very cooling fabric. And then as far as warm and cozy fabric, their blankets, their shawls, their robes, all of it is unbelievable. Also, some of like a really cool design things. Think of like a hooded sweatshirt dress that is also the velour on the inside. I mean, completely cozy, especially for the days that you just like you're bloated. You don't want anything around your waist. Ugh. I mean, we're really getting into it today, are you? I'm, I'm sharing all my thoughts, my sweats, my bloat, all of it. But listen, I want to be real with you guys. Softies PJs is definitely the way to go. They are having 10% off right now for new customers on their site. So go visit softiespjs.com. Again, that's softiespjs.com. Enjoy how cozy you are. Take a picture, tag me, let me see it. I, you know, I, I have empathy, but I also have a lot of anger because I, I say to myself, like, why couldn't he have figured that out? Like, why, oh. like, wasn't I worth it for him to stay? You know, don't we all want to say that about the people that we lost as if they really had some control in some sense, you know, unless it is something that is self-inflicted. But sometimes I almost look at it like it's self-inflicted. Like I said, Mm -hmm. like looking back, I feel like he almost made the choice to just be like, okay, this is what's going to happen. And I now look at my family and look at my daughter and and just say, I don't want people to feel this on my hands and I want to do whatever I can to to continue to be here. And also, I think I put the stress on myself of, of in a, a recent podcast episode, a guest had talked about being an avatar for others that didn't get to experience life. So it's like now mm. I'm living so that they can too. And then, you know, maybe this is my way of trying to, to right side the DNA code here and say that we can make it through a lifetime without having a heart condition, without having a heart attack, without dying way sooner than, you know, life intends you to. Mm-hmm. And being a vehicle for expression of emotions that previous generations didn't feel safe or didn't have permission or didn't have modeling for. That's that's another thing I try to keep in mind and share in the book in the lineage section where we talk about this is the legacy you come from and the legacy you want to leave being a good ancestor, you know, because we are ancestors, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. we this, you know, this podcast is an ancestral artifact, you know, it's going out into the world and who knows what like your child's children or whoever you impact. In the I future, mean, it's probably going to be super amazing. They're probably going to have this podcast listened to like in schools. I mean, think of it as like a common textbook. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's going to be like in the (laughs) national library. I mean, this is clearly going to be huge. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, (laughs) or, you know, maybe someone comes across it someday, you know, who, who knows? I'm not one to, to predict that future, but just to think from that perspective of that, we are ancestors in the making and that mm. we come from a long line of people who lived in truly different times and we can get really caught up in, like, I come from like some straight up racist people mm. and I've, I've been so, I mean, I've just been grieving for years around that and letting myself grieve and also knowing I am not them. And I don't know what choice I would have made during those times, I know what choice I'd make now. Mm -hmm. And just to be like, well, here I am now with the choices in front of me. And to, I think what fuels those moments of like, why me is just like, especially when you have a child, it's Mm -hmm. like, well, there it is Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I have to, Yeah, because it's, yeah, it's got a shift. 
Yeah. Do you feel like in being able to look at your lineage that way, that it helps you feel lighter in other aspects of your life? Like you talking about this, I feel like, are you saying that people can free up some of the stress and trauma they may feel with other parts of their life by kind of digging a little deeper and seeing where it might be coming from? Yes. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yes. Yeah. There are so many avenues to take this, but I find like your, your intuition, your curiosity tells you. So a few years ago, you know, I heard a little voice that was like, you got to look back, Becca, you got to look back. And so I have been, I've been looking back to the stories. I've been calling to my ancestors, the bright and well ones in my dreams. I've been all up on ancestry.com. Like I've just been looking at that, participating in this constellation work that I mentioned, you know, in addition to my self-care and all these other things, you know, it's just been a way for me to bring more meaning to my pain Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. move it, shift it. Mm. I like that bringing meaning to your pain and then being able to move it. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned the woo woo. So we've got to go back to that. (laughs) Let's go woo. Let's go. Are you a skeptic of the woo-woo? Yeah. I would love to hear Uh, the counterpoint on this because we have, I I consider myself somebody that I believe in the spiritual world. I think that I've been able to connect with my dad. I think there are different realms and and all this. I would love to hear the counterpoint to this and, and, and what you think. Well, I'm not sure I am the counterpoint because I definitely am extremely spiritual and, and like, I'm witchy and follow the seasons and cycles of the earth and honor them. I'd say I'm more of an earth honoring spiritual person. And yeah, there's a lot of woo in me. And particularly with like communing with ancestors, like Mm -hmm. that's a big part of my life now. And I think what, what I mean with my skepticism is I'm just always thinking about the ways human beings feel lonely and want to belong and the way that can create a desperation. One of my little side hobbies is researching cults. Oh, sure. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also highly recommend if someone else is interested in cults to read a book called cultish by Amanda Montel, which is really great. Yeah. She's like a millennial Gen Z person who really just like talks about soul cycle and talks about CrossFit and then talks Ooh. about these like, you know, the Manson kids right, and like right. everything, these like you know? new wave forms of cults basically. Yeah. Right. And her whole premise is like, it's, we're all a little cultish. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's okay. If you love soul cycle and you cry, you know, and I, cause I'm like me, but <laughs> you know, like, but just be aware, just be aware of the ways you're, um, either being manipulated or you're, you're like, come mm-hmm. what I call the come from, like, what are your desires here? Cause so many of us really, because we live these individualist lifestyles, particularly during this pandemic time, we, we just want to feel like we're part of something and yeah. church attendance has gone way down. Like there's been a real, like there's a now deep cultural skepticism of churches because a lot of churches have done a lot of harm, but there's a spiritual longing. I would categorize it as spiritual, a sense that we are part of something. We are communal. We want to feel like we're in the group, that primitive survival instinct. It's deep, deep, deep. And so I get skeptical of spirituality trends that create an in you're in or you're out, or if they have their own sort of language in which, if you don't know the language Mm. you're out, I find this happening a lot in spirituality groups that talk about like the codes I've received the codes, the light codes. And I'm like, yo, you are just creating separateness. You're making me feel like the other you you're a cult. I've never thought of it that way, but you're so, so right. Yeah. And I think grieving people are like, like they're preyed on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You know, it's talked about with essential oils, which in itself is probably a cult because of all the multi-level marketing and all that stuff. I mean, again, that's another thing that we could sit here. We could have like several different podcasts episodes off of this one podcast that we're having Mm -hmm. of all the different layers that we're touching. The multi-level marketing is certainly one of them. The essential oils people have been dinged because of the way that they prey on grievers and coming into your DMS, slide in the DMS, not the type of DM slide in that you'd like to have <laughs> telling you that they've got the oils for you that are going to help you overcome your grief. And that's just BS because that ain't oh, happening. Okay. Story time. I, prior to having my daughter, I, I had some miscarriages mm, and um, talk that. Of, that was, thanks. It was rough. It was yeah. rough. And I was, I was open about 
the first one <laughs> after a while I was like, I need some time to be private, yeah. but I was like, it's actually kind of common. Let me talk about it. And I'm kind of an out loud person. I got so many essential oil DMs. Did you? About oh. grief, grief blends. And also people wanting to t- communicate with my spirit baby, which was oh, like, sure. What? Uh-huh. Boundary crossing. So this is what I mean. Like, mm, mm-hmm. I don't think we fully understand like consent and, mm-hmm. and these ways we're manipulating each other, but also I have compassion for the fact that we're all a little lost, mm-hmm. you know, and, and hopefully I'm not saying I have the answer. Hopefully though, there are ways in which we can implement practices, rituals, whether it's in community or on our own to like put our feet back on the earth. Yeah. And really think critically here and take care of ourselves. How do you think your motherhood journey changed your perception of life and the world and ways that we look at it? And did that go into how you wrote your book? I wrote the book pregnant. Okay. So, but I wrote the book in, in the early lockdown. (laughs) So I was like, Mm. oh my God. So that informed, yeah, I added, actually, I added the death and grief chapter because of the pandemic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to ignore it. Yeah. It was just like, why haven't I talked about this? So that was really important, but I edited the book one month postpartum, which I would not recommend. I I don't know how you did that. I don't know either. (laughs) Honestly, I I could barely lift my head up. I couldn't even form sentences. So holy hell power to you. Obligated. I love my publisher and I was contractually obligated because when I got the deal, I wasn't pregnant. Yeah. It was Mm -hmm. what it was. I will never do it again. I don't have memory of it, which means it was, you know, borderline traumatizing. But anyways, this is all to say, if I was writing the book now, I would put even more emphasis on the community piece because I just really felt in my, you know, first probably six months postpartum, which are really intense no matter what, but to have it during a time when people were afraid of each other's bodies, particularly Mm. in like my community. And I was just getting so many text messages and DMS and like food sent to me, but I was like, I want you in my home holding. I want you, I want, I need to be, I need you to like, talk to me and ask me about how breastfeeding is going and, and, and let me just be hormonal. And like, I need people and this whole concept of like the village, the village being gone. And now I just feel so fired up about this concept of re-villaging or community care. Like I now set aside one day a week, Fridays, Fridays are my community care days. Who needs an extra lasagna? Who, who's like, who needs someone to bring? Yeah, I do too. And it was not my idea, but I have been so into it. And I want to just share this information. Like, what does it mean to actually show up for each other instead of being like, need anything? No. Okay. Of course we need you. Mm -hmm. Even if you hate lasagna, someone dropping off lasagna, even if you compost it. Okay, first of all, no one hates lasagna. Let me just say that right now. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. (laughs) But I just, I was just writing for a little course I'm doing for the book about community care. And I was just like, it's not about the lasagna. It's about you showing up. Yeah. And we're all so afraid of bothering each other, but we are so alone. Like I even go as far to say, like, I live in Northern California. We have devastating wildfires every fall. It gets closer and closer. Mm. And so, and we had three years ago, we had a fire at the top of our hill. We thought we were goners. Mm. Thank you. Everything and everyone that prevented that from happening, but it spooked our whole street. What it made me realize is like, I have neighbors across the street that I'm very certain we vote differently. Like Mm -hmm. we have got different values, Mm -hmm. but am I going to let that be in the way of helping them safely evacuate because they are over 65. No, I'm going to check in on them. And I just thought, wow, that's actually kind of a radical idea in these times. Yeah. So I do, I set some time aside and sometimes I use it and sometimes I don't to check in. Cause I, there's always someone in need, a new parent, someone who's sick, someone who's elderly and needs support, someone who is grieving and mm-hmm. lost their beloved one six months ago, but everyone's forgotten about it. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. That, that is one of the hardest times too, as, 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 you know, there's so many people that are there up front. It's the people that check in the few months, the few years out that remember that are, are really just like, and remember the anniversary on earth. Yeah. 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 On a, on a much smaller scale, I've been trying to do that in terms of even just texting, like, 
okay, each morning I wake up and say, okay, who's going to be my person today that I'm going to check in on? Because it's just so easy for people to kind of lose touch. I mean, your life is crazy. Everyone else's life is crazy when there's not that constant reason to see each other, especially with, you know, you're not going into the office, you're not going to social events, you're not doing these certain things. And it doesn't need to be a lot, you know, just, Hey, how are you thinking of you? Like what's going on? I find that when people do that to me, it makes me feel really good. I want to try and do that for other people. So if you're listening and thinking that like a lasagna is way too much and way too big of a heavy lift, start with a simple text and see where it takes you from there. But this idea of community care and dedicating time in your life to do that is absolutely fantastic. So thank you for bringing that to the table. Can you give us a few other examples of what people can do to really enhance a sense of belonging in a time of grief. I will just add that the best texts I got in my early postpartum days, when I was telling, I was telling people like, I'm actually really struggling was when they sent love and said, no need to respond. I 100% agree. I've talked about that before. It was by far the best. I've had people that have done that. And I do that now, even on like, things that aren't for grief, even just, yeah. Hey, I'm sure you're having a really busy day. Cause I knew this is happening in your life, but just wanted to say, love you here for you. Or like, congratulations. I'm excited for you. No need to respond. You'll get to it whenever. And yeah, that, that is definitely a practice that should be included more often. What I also wish. So the executives at Apple, if you're listening, I wish there was a way to like mark a text message as unread, unread. so that Why? you can, mm-hmm. Okay, good. You feel my pain so that you can go back to it to be able to say, okay, yes, let me respond to this person. Yeah. For the millions of people with iMessage mm-hmm. that, you know, are checking in the middle of the night because they're feeding their child or soothing their child or, you know, up with insomnia because they're grieving or going through a hard time or really busy. Yeah. I know. I've talked my, I've asked my husband about this. He's in tech and he's like, it's has to do with the phone companies. It's really complicated. I was like, well, you know what? They could. Yeah. They've they figured could out. Listen, if I can have a shit emoji, you can figure out how <laughs> yeah. I can mark a text message as can on we get our priorities straight. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do like though now how they're doing the thing where you can like silence your notifications and it will tell you that the person has silenced their notifications yes. because especially as a mom, I find myself like finally sitting down at 10 30 at night and That's I have like so many thoughts that I want to unload and be able to, Oh, I have to tell this person this, or I meant to make sure they knew about this or whatever. And then I'm like, I don't want to wake them up in the middle of the night. But if I see that they silence and they're not going to get into the morning anyway, I let loose. Yeah. That is nice. Mm-hmm. That is nice. Totally. Another, just like what came into my mind for ways we can support each other. If you're like, don't, if I understand taking a day off a week for community care is a lot for a lot of people is like, if you're going to the grocery store, just like text someone that, you know, you know, is busy and be like, I'm going to the grocery store. Can mm-hmm. I pick up anything for you? I'm going there anyways. Mm-hmm. And I have friends who have done that. And I'm like, actually, yeah, <laughs> I need bananas. Cause I have a child and all she eats is bananas. Like, <laughs> please get the bananas. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's another easy thing. To, and then, you know, on your way home, just like drop them off. Yeah. Like, like they're on your doorstep. Bye. You know? Yeah. That's a nice one. So Mm -hmm. yeah, they don't have to be so heavy. They can be these simple little things to try to just weave into your life and find a little room for it. And in doing that, you'll start to feel closer to the people around you. Totally. Totally. Because that's the whole point (laughs) is connection. And and a lot of it is through intimacy and generosity. And Mm -hmm. I think so many of us rightfully so feel burned out, busy, you know, we're just trying to keep up. And I do think the antidote is slowing down and connecting to each other. And it's, and it it starts with small things. That's the whole, Mm -hmm. that's the whole thing in my book. Like I give rituals and practices and things, and they're all just like, that's how we create a habit is like Mm -hmm. little things consistently. And that's what I want. You know, it's not just a pretty, I mean, this is the book is very beautiful. And that was to try to like get people to, it is very beautiful. Yeah. Get it. But it's really not just like a pretty coffee table, but please don't just like leave it. Like it's meant to be a, a way to get you to think and act differently Yeah. for for yourself, you know, yeah. for your, and I think particularly if people listening are struggling or experiencing grief, like grief is the great slowdown of life gets you thinking differently. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what this book is meant to support is like, how can we change the ways in life that 
create more, you know, suffering and disconnection. Mm -hmm. Somebody said that on my uh, recent podcast too. Grief is like the great transformation and how it just makes you look mm -hmm. at everything completely differently. And that it is. Oh yeah. So true. Yeah. New lifetime. You're basically reborn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, but it's the same thing with birth too, right? Uh -huh. Becoming a mother makes you look at everything so differently. So that's another thing of how grief and birth are literally the same death and birth. Oh my gosh. So you're just like really new. Look at you. I, right. <laughs> how wow. about that? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. New and improved kind of new, <laughs> a little tired, a little more tired, a little, <laughs> a lot more tired, but yeah, with like a, a values and conviction, right? Clarity of purpose. Yeah. Oh, I do feel like a totally different person. And I like this person. Like, yeah, I'm happy that I am where I am from the experiences that I've had and can't wait to see where else I go. But I, I mean, know, you know, the, oh, if we could just stop the lessons in the, in the hard ways, that would be great. So speaking for um, us all, you also say that you love reality TV, which mm -hmm. is fabulous. We, we are fans of reality TV here at so oh. sorry for your loss and okay. you map it back to systems of oppression and collective need for community explain. Yeah, I know. This is everyone's permission. Well, first of all, I think a lot of us feel a soothing of our nervous systems by watching like mm -hmm. people argue about stupid shit on mm -hmm. someone on else's drama. Yeah. 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 So my like favorite, favorite, favorite is Real Housewives. Mm. Every franchise I love, love, love. And I've really Do you watch thinking, Miami. Oh, I think it's the best ever right now. By far the best one. Also, I love Nicole so much. I do too. Do you oh know that God. I was DMing with her the other day and I was like, <gasps> really shit? How? She was at the place that I got married at the Rosewood Baja Mar. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love it there. I've been there a million times and I got married there and not thinking she would respond. I don't even know why I felt compelled to write that. And she responded and she was like, yeah, we love it. It's such See, a quick trip for us. She's so cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I looked at my husband and he's been saying he wants to go back. And I'm like, no, we've been there so many times. We can go somewhere else. And I looked at my husband. I was like, we have to get on a plane right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> Nicole, Nicole from Miami is in our favorite place and we need to go there and hang out with her. I know oh obviously did not happen, but I adore her. I think she's so real. I think she's so cute. I think that she has such a story of grief in terms of the relationship with her father. Oh my gosh. He, that scene. I know. Yeah. For those of you that don't watch, he is still living, but he was in jail for a while. So this shattered perception that she had of him, basically just the state that he left the family in, and he's a bit of an alcoholic as well, and really just kind of flails around in terms of having a relationship with Nicole and her family. And it's, it's really devastating to watch the scene that you're talking about. She tries to resurrect their relationship and reconnect with him. And he just can't go without drinking and can't take it seriously. So it's a shame. Yeah. It's a, it's another type of grief, you know, when you're wanting to connect with a family member so bad and they're just not letting it happen. You know, how is, is that almost more difficult than someone that you can't connect with because they're dead, right? Yeah. Like what's, what's more difficult. And then Alexia's story. I mean, TV oh. gold and she's fantastic too. I think oh she's gosh, what she has been through. She has quite a head on her shoulders for everything that she's been through. I know. No, it makes you think of ancestral resilience too. Mm -hmm. I know being from Cuba. I know. I think about all of that. I think Miami is a star right now. Oh, I totally agree. But one of the reasons I was, I've been asking myself, I mean, each franchise is kind of different and has different, like, but I like that expressions of a community, you know, like, like even like the style, the, the plastic surgery, the hairstyle, like everything, like it's an expression of that individual's communities, like way to look in order to belong. Yeah. And so, yeah, I understand these are people's lives. I also understand they're like slightly narcissistic and they're playing a part and like, there's so much to unpack there, but uh -huh. I just, I bring this lens of like, okay, but this is the reason this is resonating is for so many of us, we have experiences of this in the micro there is a way in which we all want to have that like girls trip to the, the Hamptons, Hamptons. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a way we love watching them have leisure time and unlimited resources. There's oh, a way, there's a way in which it's relieving and soothing to the ways we are operating our lives. It's wish fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that in my own life. And I, you know, I've had so many conversations with my husband, who's like, this is trash. And I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah. But it's actually uh, really important for me 
to like calm my nervous system, uh -huh. you know, instead of doom scrolling. It's like mindless too. You can just sit and watch it. You don't have to like turn on all these back parts of the brains that have to be like very engaged and very, you know, just, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just mindless and it's nice. It's mindless. And yet I find the storylines kind of stick with me. I, I mean, do. I, That's interesting. And I, yeah. and I, yeah. And even just like the way they have like petty fights and I'm like, wow, look, the patriarchy is still running through them mm -hmm. the way they're like making fun of each other about their sexuality or, you know, the way Larsa attacked, you know, the women about having children out of wedlock, wedlock. and how that's uh, yeah. rooted in a patriarchal system that makes it that a woman isn't safe unless she's married and has a child. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's going back to like what bastard children are somehow, you know, not a part of the Less lineage. Yeah. And I'm just like, huh, look at how this is still present. That really helps me. I think maybe justify it, but yeah, I find it soothing and interesting mm -hmm. interesting <laughs> yeah i you know i find myself gravitating more to some of the shows where and i wish more would do this where like let me just see a group of friends getting along and having fun and doing their thing is that what you really want though kind of i find that they like I, that makes me feel better like if i there are some shows that i've watched where i'm like they literally do nothing but have the dumbest fights and they scream at each other all day yeah. long I, that's just fun to watch yeah, I don't, I don't watch that. There was like a season of Below Deck that recently that was like that, that I just uh -huh. didn't even care to watch. But I, there was one show on Netflix that was a basically like a house of people. I think they were based in Austin and like their goal was to all find love and they were like helping each other through it. I never watched it, but I saw the, the trailer for it. And I was like, hmm, now that's something that I would like to see. Actually. That's why I love the great British baking show. Oh, yes. Because they, I mean, it's still dramatic. Like, oh my right. God, the time is running drama. out and their yeah. icing is melting because it's too hot in the tent because it's summer in Britain. Oh my uh -huh. God. And then uh -huh. someone's like, let me help you. And, and I do like, that's true. Yeah. There's actually a threshold I find for the trauma I can watch. Yes. Like I remember I was watching yeah, that's what it is. show yeah. and I watched them screaming at each other. And I just thought I can't, this hurts me. Do you watch Summer House? Well, listen, I haven't, but you're like the 10th person to recommend it. Oh, so I guess it. I will be. You got to watch it. Yeah. This season has been very nice. I think that the drama level has been at like a six or a seven, like still just enough to like remain interesting and wet my palate, but it's not overbearing and people are screaming at just dumb things. Oh, it gets and too it's, dark. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Either dumb things or too dark. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll give it mm -hmm. a try. Yeah. Are you watching Salt Lake City? You know, I almost feel like I should because I see so much of it on Instagram that's, that that's just up right now. Just curious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know everything going on with Jen Shaw. I mean, who doesn't? And right. Getting arrested. I mean, all these housewives. I know. Getting arrested. And then that, basically. that, that is really interesting from like a economic perspective. Cause like there is such, you know, this aspirational, like these women are so rich and then they feel like they need to, I mean, a lot of them end up going bankrupt or mm -hmm. having like, you know, fraud scandals because of this needing to appear wealthy. And yeah. I think Jen Shaw is one of these people who is like that. Well, yeah. you know, will allegedly we'll see, but it seems like it. And so I've just been engaged in conversations where people are like, well, we're just like making this happen. I'm like, no, this is happening everywhere. This keeping up with the Joneses, this like, oh, yeah. why are we, that's how we want to belong is like this appearance of wealth and this aspirational way of, well, being. I think the pandemic fed into that too, because once that was all stripped away and it didn't matter if you were wearing Prada, it mattered if you had access to Purell, the antibacterial, yeah. you know, like all of a sudden people, paper. yeah, people were stripped of like what gave them purpose. Yeah. And their rankings in the community, basically. It, were oh, it shifted everything. Taken away. Totally. So well, now people it was are like, like fighting to get that back again as things are starting to come a little way. bit normal. Yeah. It does feel that way. See, it just feeds all these cool conversations. It's all <laughs> intertwined. Yeah. And as much as we shit on like social media and the connectedness of that earlier, I do think that is a fun way to basically have this community if you are a part of these reality TV shows and you love them. Like I love going on and seeing like, oh, what are people saying? And oh, how did people react to this one yeah. part of the episode? Because that was insane. Did everybody else think that was insane? And yeah. just seeing that is a, is a cool way to, to be a part of a community. But again, it's just a bunch of people behind a computer. You don't even really see their face and it would be nice if it were more. 
It's the both and connected. Yeah. It's yeah. the both end of life. Yeah. We yeah. just, I think, yeah, there's so much being said about social media and I have not left social media, but I do think that there are healthy and unhealthy ways to interact with it. Yeah, absolutely. Any other pop culture things that you think are important in this journey of connectivity and understanding your roots? Like, are there any shows that really highlight this meaning for you? I mean, I really like those survival shows where mm. like, <laughs> like naked and afraid naked or whatever. And afraid. <laughs> it just, you know, they only really survive when they work together. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, it, this is so basic, but it's actually something we often forget because we're such like, I don't need help. Yeah. I don't need help. I'm fine. I'll oh, figure it out on my own. A great point that is of how much we think we can do on our own and then yeah. how that feeds into grief. And we think that we don't need others sometimes, or we don't need therapy. We don't need medication. We can do this ourselves. Yeah. And like, why though? And then we say, oh, she's so strong. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. What does that even mean? Yeah. So I watch these shows and I'm just like, oh, literally to survive. Like, I just think about, we are animal bodies, you know, we are primal bodies that do not develop as quick as computers, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's, this is why I think we need to wail and shake. And so if I see these like people naked in the wild who are just trying to feed themselves, it's when they work together that they live. I'm just like, there it is. Uh huh. We really are. We we're all animals at the end of the day. We are. Tell us where we can find you, where people can purchase your book and how we can learn to be connected and learn from our lineage. Becca Piastrelli is my name. You can type that in the machines and it usually finds me. The machines. <laughs> Some version of P. Estrelli. I'd spell it, but the machines will find me. You can you can sign up for my newsletter if you're interested in learning more about this stuff. The book is called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self Sold, where all books are sold in all the places, IRL and online. And then I'm mostly on Instagram. I'm really, we're coming out of winter. I commit myself to living seasonally. So I've been kind of wintering and laying low. So that's, I'm here and there on Instagram. And then I have a podcast called Ooh. belonging uh, and I talk about all this stuff. So you can listen to my back catalog. I'm coming back this spring, summer. Nice. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I loved this. This Thank was very you. fun. It was very interesting. It was, wasn't it? <laughs> You're wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on and I uh, hope we can work together again soon. Take care. Have a great one. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Head over to Instagram to follow more at So Sorry with Gianna. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave that five star review. I would love you for it. More to come on this season of So Sorry for Your Loss. So stay tuned.